Welcome to another lecture in the MSK Cornerstone course. This is a continuation of our sports medicine lecture series. In this lecture, we will be addressing pathology involving the pelvis and hip, including common avulsion injuries, nerve entrapments, sports hernia, and several causes of hip pain, including femoral acetabular impingement. All right, let's get started with pelvic injuries by beginning with a very common hip pointer, also known as an iliac crest contusion. Iliac crest contusions are commonly caused by direct trauma and occur during contact sports. A hematoma occurs in the surrounding iliac wing and can cause bleeding into the hip abductor musculature. In skeletally immature patients, it is important to rule out avulsion of the iliac apophysis. Several muscles originate off of the iliac crest, including the sartorius, the tensor fascia lata, the gluteus medius, and the abdominal musculature. Patients with a hip pointer will typically complain of pain near the iliac crest. On physical examination, they may have a hematoma or ecchymosis near the crest, have weak hip abduction, and pain will limit their range of motion. Radiographs are typically normal. However, in a skeletally immature patient, it is important to assess for an avulsed iliac crest apophysis. Treatment of a hip pointer includes rest, anti-inflammatories, possibly a cortisone injection, and physical therapy. They may return to play the same day with additional padding around the crest. It is important to recognize the possible sites of apophyseal avulsions from insertion sites on the skeletally immature pelvis. Test questions will ask what muscle has been avulsed with this radiograph. Anterior superior iliac spine avulsions occur in young athletes with forceful contraction of the sartorius or tensor fascia lata. Patients may complain of a pop or snap and have pain and weakness near the area of the ASIS. The fracture fragment can be seen on radiographs. Patients are typically treated with rest, protective weight-bearing with crutches, and early range of motion. If the fragment is greater than 3 centimeters displaced, it may require operative fixation. However, this is incredibly uncommon, and these injuries can generally be treated conservatively. Anterior-inferior iliac spine avulsion fractures occur in a similar fashion with eccentric contraction of the rectus femoris. The pathologic motion is hip extension and knee flexion that occurs during a kicking mechanism, typically in a 14 to 17 year old. This more commonly occurs in adolescent males than in females. Treatment is with rest, anti-inflammatory, and activity modifications with protected weight bearing. Avulsion fractures off the ischial tuberosity also commonly occur, and for testable purposes, you will see this in water skiers. The mechanism of injury involves hip flexion and knee extension you will see a fracture fragment avulsed off the ischial tuberosity. They may have ecchymosis in the posterior thigh. Most patients can be treated non-operatively, including protected weight bearing, followed by physical therapy for stretching and strengthening. Skeletally mature patients with proximal hamstring avulsions off the bone may undergo operative management with fixation back to the ischial tuberosity. Athletic pubalgia or a sports hernia has gained increased recognition in recent years. This is frequently seen in hockey and soccer players. It involves a strain of the abdominal wall or the adductor longus. The mechanism of injury is thought to be abdominal hyperextension and thigh abduction. Patients may present with pain in the groin that is recreated during sit-ups or the Valsalva maneuver. MRIs may show an increased signal in either the adductor musculature or the abdominal wall. Most patients are treated with rest and physical therapy. However, if this fails, they may require repair of the abdominal wall or reinsertion of the adductor musculature. Osteitis pubis is a rare diagnosis caused by repetitive microtrauma to the pubic symphysis. 
This pathologic mechanism is thought to stem from repeated kicking or hip abduction. Patients present with diffuse pain localized over the anterior pelvis. They may have pain with direct palpation of the pubic symphysis. On an AP radiograph, it possibly may show osteolytic bone in the area of the pubic symphysis and sometimes increased diastasis. An MRI could show bone marrow edema around the area of the pubic symphysis. This is generally treated with rest, anti-inflammatories, and activity modification. There are four nerve entrapment syndromes that need to be considered as well. The ilioinguinal nerve may be entrapped by overdeveloped abdominal musculature. Obturator nerve entrapment occurs in patients with well-developed hip adductor muscles, particularly ice skaters, and presents as medial-sided thigh pain. Both of these are typically treated conservatively. The lateral femoral cutaneous nerve can become entrapped or compressed with prolonged hip flexion or tight clothing leading to pain and hyperesthesia down the lateral thigh. And finally, the sciatic nerve can become entrapped by the piriformis muscle or at the level of the ischial tuberosity. Entrapment by the piriformis muscle leads to piriformis syndrome. Remember that the sciatic nerve typically exits the pelvis anterior to the piriformis muscle and posterior to the obturator internus. Patients with piriformis syndrome typically present with pain in the gluteal region that radiates down the back of the leg. Sometimes this can be difficult to differentiate this from spinal radicular pathology. The flexion, adduction, and internal rotation test or FAIR test maneuver may reproduce the symptoms by placing the piriformis on tension, thereby compressing the nerve. Consider this diagnosis if you get an MRI of the lumbar spine and it is negative, but the patient continues to have radicular symptoms traveling down the sciatic nerve dermatomes. First-line treatment includes rest, anti-inflammatories, physical therapy, and possibly cortisone injections. The therapist should focus on stretching the piriformis muscle and the short external rotators. If the patient fails conservative treatment, they may need to undergo a piriformis muscle release. Now, how about patients with lateral-sided hip pain? Greater trochanteric bursitis presents as lateral-sided hip pain, especially in runners associated with training on banked surfaces. This is caused by repetitive trauma of the IT band tracking over the trochanteric bursa. This is treated conservatively with anti-inflammatories, stretching, physical therapy, focused on stretching out the IT band, and possibly a cortisone injection into the area. If the patient fails a prolonged course of conservative management, if the patient fails a prolonged course of conservative management, operative intervention may be considered for a trochanteric bursectomy. All right, so let's talk for a second about snapping hip or coxa saltans. In this condition, the snapping sensation is caused by a motion of the muscles and tendon over the hip joint. This commonly occurs in athletes and dancers in their teens or 20s. Now, what are the three types of snapping hip? Think from outside to inside. There's external snapping hip, internal snapping hip, and intraarticular snapping hip. External snapping hip is caused by the iliotibial band rubbing over the greater trochanter. Internal snapping hip is the most common form and is caused by the iliopsoas tendon snapping over the femoral head, the iliopectineal ridge, or an inflamed iliopsoas bursa. Finally, intraarticular snapping hip is caused by loose bodies within the hip, labral tears, or possibly synovial chondromatosis. Patients will typically present with snapping or clicking around the hip joint with variable amounts of pain. A locking sensation should clue you off to possible intraarticular pathology. External snapping may often be visible in a thinner patient. While applying pressure to the greater trochanter, while flexing the hip, you may be able to appreciate a snapping sensation. 
The Ober test is also helpful in confirming a tight iliotibial band, which reinforces the diagnosis. If the patient has internal snapping, the sensation may be produced by moving from flexion and external rotation to extension and internal rotation. Radiographs are typically normal, however it may be useful to rule out synovial chondromatosis if you're worried about intraarticular snapping hip. Dynamic ultrasound may show both internal and external snapping hip. MRI is of course useful for evaluating for all other hip pathology including labral tears and synovial chondromatosis. MRI is of course useful for evaluating for any other hip pathology including labral tears or synovial chondromatosis. If the patient has no pain and is minimally symptomatic, they may be treated with activity modification and physical therapy. Operative intervention is indicated for a painful hip that has failed non-operative management. External snapping hip can be treated with excision of the greater trochanteric bursa or lengthening of the iliotibial band. Internal snapping hip can be treated with a release of the iliopsoas tendon, either performed open or arthroscopically. If the patient has any intraarticular loose bodies, they should also be removed. Let's move on now to hip labral tears. A tear of the acetabular labrum can lead to pain and intraarticular snapping. This occurs commonly in patients with acetabular dysplasia, particularly young active females. The most commonly torn section of the labrum is the anterior superior labrum. This occurs frequently, as mentioned previously, with hip dysplasia, femoral acetabular impingement, and previous trauma. So what is the acetabular labrum? The labrum is a horseshoe-shaped structure that is continuous with the transverse acetabular ligament. It has two parts, the articular and capsular components. Now, how will patients with a labral tear present? Patients will typically present with pain, locking or catching, and a snapping sensation. They will localize the pain to the groin. For an anterior tear, the pain may be reproduced when bringing the patient from a fully flexed, externally rotated, and abducted position into extension, internal rotation, and adduction. Posterior labral tears can be diagnosed by bringing the patient from a flexed, adducted, and internally rotated position to a position of extension, abduction, and external rotation. Radiographs are useful to evaluate for any hip dysplasia, arthritis, or cyst formation. An MRI arthrogram is the test of choice to look for labral tears. When performing the arthrogram, the radiologist can also inject lidocaine, therefore the imaging study may be diagnostic and therapeutic. Conservative therapy is the mainstay of treatment for all patients with labral tears. If patients fail conservative measures, they may undergo labral debridement versus repair. Both modalities have shown good outcomes in the short term. However, long-term follow-up is still necessary to fully evaluate the outcome of these interventions. It is impossible to discuss labral tears of the hip without mentioning femoral acetabular impingement. This is a common cause of hip pain and is thought to predispose a patient to secondary osteoarthritis. It is broken down into cam impingement, pincer impingement, or a combination of both. Cam impingement refers to a femoral-based disorder commonly occurring in young athletic males. The patients will have a deformed femoral head with a decreased head-to-neck ratio, possibly increased neck retroversion secondary to a previous skiffy. They may also have a decreased femoral offset. Pincer impingement refers to the acetabular-based disorder more commonly presenting in an active middle-aged woman. In this disorder, there is anterior superior acetabular rim overhang. Acetabular retroversion may be seen with a crossover sign. They may have a deep socket caused by either acetabular protrusio or coxa profunda. 
The combined deformities of both the acetabular and femoral components are more common than either as a singular process. These deformities lead to the impingement of the femoral neck against the anterior edge of the acetabulum during hip flexion. This can lead to labral tearing, cartilage damage, and eventually arthritis. These patients typically present with pain that is worse with hip flexion. They may have difficulty sitting for a prolonged period of time. The pain is localized to the groin or buttock. They may also have a snapping, clicking sensation within the hip. On physical exam, they will show decreased hip flexion to less than 90 degrees, especially with internal rotation. The FAIR, or Flexion Adduction Internal Rotation Test, may also elicit pain. Radiographs are an important first step in making the diagnosis. The false profile view can assess for any anterior coverage or overcoverage of the femoral head. This is obtained with the patient standing at an angle of 65 degrees between the pelvis and the film plate. AP, cross table lateral, or the modified Weaver-Dunn views of the hip also help to show for any femoral or acetabular dysplasia. Measuring an alpha angle can help to delineate any cam deformity. The alpha angle is drawn with a line down the femoral neck and a second line through the head-neck junction. An angle of 55 degrees or greater indicates a cam deformity. The AP pelvis x-ray is also analyzed for coxa profunda or protrusio, any sign of crossover indicating retroversion of the acetabulum, and to assess coverage via the tonus angle or lateral center edge angle. MRI is the best modality to assess for articular cartilage damage and labral tears. An ultrasound-guided injection of lidocaine and corticosteroids into the hip can be very useful both as a diagnostic tool and therapeutic treatment modality. There is a significant number of pain generators surrounding the hip joint, and great care needs to be taken to identify the problematic structure prior to any invasive procedure. The differential includes tendonitis of the psoas, hamstrings, hip abductors, and adductors. The pain may also come from degenerative disease, which is a contraindication to hip arthroscopy. Non-operative treatment includes observation, rest, anti-inflammatories, and physical therapy for strengthening of the hip musculature and core musculature. After a prolonged course of treatment, in patients without any degenerative disease, evidence of a labral tear and cam deformity on imaging, and a diagnostic injection that provided some pain relief, operative intervention may be of sub-benefit. Operative intervention includes arthroscopic versus open acetabuloplasty and cam resection. Acetabular dysplasia with hip undercoverage may be addressed with periacetabular osteotomies. Patients with degenerative changes, however, may require a total hip arthroplasty. Questions with regard to hip arthroscopy relate to the complications with portal placement and surgical positioning. With the anterior lateral portal, which is placed 2 centimeters anterior and just superior to the anterior superior border of the greater trochanter, the superior gluteal nerve is at risk. The posterior lateral portal, which is placed posterior to the tip of the trochanter, the sciatic nerve is at risk, particularly if the portal is placed with the hip in external rotation. The anterior portal places the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve at risk. The most common neurovascular complication, however, is a pudendal nerve injury from the traction post on the fracture table while the hip is being distracted. That concludes our talk on hip and pelvis pathology in the sports medicine section. Please check back frequently for topic updates and modifications.